From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Wednesday, February 8th. Coming up today. Let's finish the job. President Biden touts economic progress and digs into Republicans in his State of the Union address. Fed Chair Jay Powell doubles down on more rate hikes to quash inflation. Credit Suisse moves to pay banker bonuses in installments. And Zoom becomes the latest company to cut jobs. I'm Amy Morris, an off-duty police officer shot over the weekend has died. And the death toll across Turkey and Syria has now topped to 8,000. I'm John Stanchower in sports. The Knicks won in Orlando. The Nets lost to Phoenix. And LeBron James has become the NBA's all-time leading scorer. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin with an address to Congress that could serve as the kickoff to a 2024 presidential campaign. President Biden used his State of the Union address to argue that the economy is getting better under his watch. He's urging Congress to help him finish the job. We're going to put thousands of people to work rebuilding our highways, our bridges, our railroads, our tunnels, ports, airports, clean water, high-speed Internet all across America, urban, rural, tribal. And folks, we're just getting started. President Biden touted record job creation and bipartisan progress on infrastructure and manufacturing. But the president drew catcalls from Republicans over the debt limit and spending. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. President Biden also took a tough line on China after last week's suspected spy balloon incident. Make no mistake about it. As we made clear last week, if China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country. And we did. The president also called on lawmakers to work with him on police reform, protecting kids online and a pared down immigration bill. Well, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders delivered the Republican response to the State of the Union. Nathan and Sanders, who spent more than two years in the Trump administration, says the White House has been, quote, hijacked by the radical left. President Biden is unwilling to defend our border, defend our skies and defend our people. He is simply unfit to serve as commander in chief. Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders says the dividing line in America is not between right and left anymore. It's between normal and crazy. 
Well, Karen, reaction in Congress to the president's remarks was loud. Bloomberg Washington correspondent Joe Matthew said things got unruly in the House chamber. There was a real chill in the room when he started going through economic policies, for instance, when he touched the debt ceiling. And by then, when we heard Marjorie Taylor Greene yelling liar, along with a couple of other members of the Republican caucus from the very back of the room, things got pretty unruly here as he worked through climate change and even the gun issue. Speaker McCarthy had to repeatedly shush his caucus. And while the nature of the GOP reaction was unusual, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno was surprised that the president didn't go into specifics on one topic. He had an opportunity here to explain the balloon. I never heard once, and was I wrong, the word balloon come up. And, you know, that surprised me because this has been a vacuum in the American public's mind for a few days now. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano says Republicans interrupting the speech played into the president's hand as he looked to cast part of the party as fringe extremists. Well, let's turn to the markets now, Nathan, specifically the Fed. Chair Jay Powell is sticking to his message that interest rates need to keep rising to fight inflation. He spoke with David Rubenstein at the Economic Club of Washington in an interview heard here on Bloomberg Radio. This process is likely to take quite a bit of time. Uh, It's not going to be, uh, we don't think, smooth. It's probably going to be bumpy. And so we think that we're going to need to do further rate increases, as we said. And we, we think that we'll need to hold policy at a restrictive level for a period of time. Chair Powell also says he does not think inflation will get close to 2% until at least next year. Next on the calendar, Karen, more earnings today. Walt Disney posts its results this afternoon, and Bloomberg's Jeff Bellinger reports the news is expected to be mixed. Analysts say Disney's revenue likely rose while profit declined. Bloomberg Intelligence says the loss of Indian Premier League cricket may have resulted in a slight decline in total streaming customers. Cable network ad sales may have declined while affiliate fees were hurt by cord cutting. Film has turned in a strong performance thanks mainly to the blockbuster Avatar sequel and theme parks should be another bright spot. Demand has been strong. Jeff Bellinger, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Jeff, thanks. Well, in Europe today, Societe Generale fell short of a pledge to pay out half of its profit to shareholders. That's despite a bigger-than-expected profit from fixed-income trading. The French bank suffered a multi-billion-dollar hit when it exited Russia. So it's holdings onto a so it's holding rather onto a larger proportion of earnings to boost capital. Sockgen shares are up a third of a percent in Paris. Credit Suisse is making waves with its bonus payouts. Bloomberg News has learned the Swiss lender will pay bonuses in installments to some bankers instead of one lump sum. We get more from Bloomberg finance reporter Tom Metcalf. The bank seems to be doing its best to sort of suck the fun out of bonus season at Credit Suisse. Today we're hearing that for more sort of mid-level junior bankers, their plan is to sort of spread any payouts across three payments where, you know, it's not entirely un-sort of seen in the sector, but it's normally you just get one big payout. Bloomberg's Tom Metcalf says Credit Suisse will pay some bonuses in three installments coming in May, August and November. Well, back here in the U.S., Nathan, more job cuts are coming into focus. Zoom video communications, which skyrocketed during the pandemic, is eliminating 15 percent of its workers. That's about 1,300 jobs. The reductions come after Zoom said it had tripled headcount over the past two years. And eBay is cutting about 500 of its employees, Karen, or 4 percent of the workforce. That move comes as eBay faces slower consumer spending after a brief pandemic boom. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. 
It is 39 degrees in Central Park. We are uh, heading up to the uh, near 50 degrees today. It'll turn partly mostly sunny with some patchy fog this morning. Lows in the mid-30s tonight. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Nathan. The death toll across Turkey and neighboring Syria has now topped 9,000. More than 11,000 buildings have been damaged from the quakes that struck on Monday, trapping many people inside in freezing temperatures. Dozens of countries are sending help, including the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the U.S. is also helping Syrian rescue efforts. In Syria itself, we have U.S.-funded humanitarian partners that are coordinating life-saving assistance. Turkey is deploying thousands of soldiers to the region. Turkey's President Erdogan plans to visit that area today. Meanwhile, Turkey's stock exchange has suspended trading of equities for the first time in 24 years. The 26-year-old NYPD officer who was shot in a botched Brooklyn robbery over the weekend has died. Police say Adid Fayez died last night, hours after NYPD Commissioner Keechan Sewell had announced the arrest of 38-year-old Randy Jones. Police say Fayez had met with Jones after arranging to buy a car from him over Facebook Marketplace. But when he arrived... Jones tried to rob him. Fayez was shot in the head. That investigation is ongoing. New York City's newest emergency shelter for asylum seekers will be located very near Wall Street. That story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. The city's opening up 492 rooms at the Holiday Inn Manhattan in the financial district to house families and single women who have arrived as part of a mass migration from the southern border. The hotel is a few blocks from the New York Stock Exchange and the World Trade Center. It is the sixth humanitarian an emergency relief shelter. The city has opened since more than 44,000 migrants began arriving in the city last year. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. And New York City is escalating its crackdown on illegal marijuana stores. The city says it will force landlords to evict the unlicensed shops that have popped up across the city as state-sanctioned marijuana retailers start operating. The city has also filed nuisance abatement lawsuits against four stores that it says sold cannabis products to underage police informants. It's a new phase in New York's efforts to shut down an estimated 1,400 illegal cannabis shops. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Amy. Time for our Bloomberg Sports Update, brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John Stashauer. Good morning, Nathan. It's likely the two players who've come into the NBA with the most amount of hype are Kareem Abdul-Jabbar back in 1969 after his brilliant career at UCLA and LeBron James 34 years later right out of high school. Both more than lived up to the hype. Kareem had been the NBA's leading scorer since 1984. No longer. LeBron, one-on-one against Kenrick Williams, backing him in. Turns, shoots, scores! Lakers Radio step back jumper late third quarter gave LeBron 38,388 points. Kareem was at the game. He was part of a 10 minute ceremony that followed the milestone. As for the Knicks, they trailed most of the night in Orlando, but some Jalen Brunson heroics down the stretch. He scored to put the Knicks ahead. He set up Jericho Sims for another basket and then made four free throws to clinch the Knicks victory. 102 98. Knicks are 16 11 on the road. And they'll be in Philadelphia on Friday. At Barclays, another home loss for the Nets, despite another big game from Cam Thomas. Averages nine points a game. 
but scored 43, and the 21-year-old Thomas becomes the youngest in NBA history to have three straight games of 40 or more, but Phoenix beat the Nets 116-112. Kyrie Irving expected to debut for Dallas tonight. Took a shot at the Nets, said he always felt very disrespected during his time in Brooklyn. For the Islanders, the debut of the recently acquired Bo Horvat, his goal capped the scoring, a 4-0 win over Seattle. Another disappointing loss for St. John's, fell by two at Butler, and now just 4-10 in the Big East. Rutgers lost at Indiana, 66-60. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager, and we continue to get reaction this morning to a State of the Union address last night that saw President Biden mix appeals for bipartisanship with some digs at the new Republican majority in the House. Yes, we disagreed plenty. And yes, there were times when Democrats went alone. But time and again, Democrats and Republicans came together. Let's bring in Julie Norman for some analysis this morning, co-director of the Center on U.S. Politics at University College London. Julie, it's great to have you back on with us, particularly the morning after a State of the Union address. And the phrase we kept hearing from the president last night was, let's finish the job. I wonder what you made of the case he's made for the job he's done as president so far. Yeah, well, good morning, Nathan. You know, Biden really had to come out in this State of the Union specifically, I think, strong on both substance and style as he most likely looks ahead to a 2024 run. And this theme of his get the job done, I think, really will set the agenda, I think, for the next two years of what will likely be his campaign. And and I think he did what most of us expected him to do. He touted some of the big wins, especially from this last year, including bipartisan wins like the infrastructure bill, of course, um, as well as the CHIPS Act, um, you know, veterans aid, these kinds of things. So he did seem to say, look, I'm well aware that there's these divisions in Washington. Of course, there's polarization, but we can still do things and let's keep doing them. And I do think that message um, came across. And I and I think he hit his stride with the speech as well. He started out a little bit rocky, but seemed to um, to kind of get into more of his comfort zone as he went. Um, and I think, again, for, for those looking for him to run, this was probably as good a speech from Biden as, as one could be looking for. I don't know if you could call it rocky necessarily, but we certainly saw things got a, a little bit raucous last night when the president touched on the debt ceiling and spending reform. I want to play a little bit of uh, part of that exchange now. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it. Contact my office. Yeah, we heard Republicans uh, from the back benches calling the president a liar, Julie. I wonder what you made of that moment. 
Yeah, I mean, there were several moments like this throughout the speech, you know, of these uh, kind of callbacks and and, uh, and jeering and whatnot, um, which, again, some years ago, I think would have been almost unthinkable. And two things, I, I think, one, this was somewhat expected. Um, Biden seemed to be somewhat prepared for it. And I think the way he handled it um, was was more uh, was more of a strength for him. Like he he kind of rolled with some of it. He bantered a bit. He laughed some of it off. And so in a way, it made it um, it kind of cooled it a little bit. And I would say even some of the jeers, if I'm honest, like it was a little bit more. Um, it didn't seem quite as as negative and uh, harsh as maybe some comments that we've seen in the past several years in in U.S. politics. Like even even the liar comment was was said with with a smile, not to um, not to excuse that in any kind of way. But it seemed a little bit more of a banter ish. And again, I think Biden came out looking quite strong in how he handled it. And so uh, in some ways, I think that played to his favor. Does this play into the stakes to come for a presidential race? Does this kind of show the contrast between the Republicans and Democrats? Certainly Biden will be hoping it will. And I think that's why he was prepped to deal with those kinds of things as as he was. And if he can keep that model going that he can stay cool collected and let other people you know look like they're on the more uh the more wild and crazy side that's exactly what democrats are going to be wanting to do for the next two years and again he's combining that with a message that i think he hopes will resonate with you definitely a lot of independents leaning in more to um you know blue collar jobs uh you know kind of pushing back at some of the big industries big tech big pharma so things that kind of resonate across the aisle, but um, but without some of the, uh, you know, some of the comments that we've seen in the past and, and even Biden, I think, pivoting away from some of the more um, progressive um, left wing issues that he was a bit more, I think, pressured to speak to in the past. So I think that combination of style and substance is is, again, what he wanted to hit going into these next two years. Just about 30 seconds left here. But even before the next two years, we have a debt ceiling fight to come. I wonder what this kind of partisanship on display means for the negotiations that are going to have to get done in the next few months here. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the the hardest thing between the parties in this next little while, no doubt. And we've seen this kind of showdown before, obviously, both saying that they're not going to negotiate. At the end of the day, as we've seen in the past, someone usually has to. Biden is no stranger to this. I imagine that the White House, as well as McCarthy, know that there's going to need to be some negotiations done. And everyone's just trying to get their position set, uh, kind of going into this next little period. But I, they, I, I sense it will be tense. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to work it out. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, 
the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.